Hello, friend. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch. This is your Mr. Robot recap podcast, brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Devlin. And I'm Aaron. So what's up? <laughs> Not a lot. I've been messing around with Haskell in my spare time, and I've been trying to learn it for about five years, so I feel like I've kind of started to scratch the surface. Maybe in another 10, I'll know how to make something with it. Have that is a long journey. <laughs> it's the journey of Haskell. Have you heard any good music lately? Uh, well, you, I'm always about five years late to the game on music, uh, so I've only recently discovered Run the Jewels. Here we are with episode two. Where we last saw Elliot, he was being whisked away into a meeting room where he's now being reintroduced to Tyrell Wellick. Right, and Tyrell Wellick, I mean, he's going to become one of the central characters of this show. Uh, and we get to learn a little bit about him here. So we know he's the acting CTO of Evil Corp. Um, and we also get a bit of insight into his thinking about how the world works. So one line that really sticks out in this is he says, you can give a man a gun and he can rob a bank. If you give a man a bank, he can rob the world. This really says a lot about Tyrell because you can tell that he's very ambitious, he's very driven, and he kind of knows how to get what he wants. Exactly, and you also get the sense that he's a bit of a nihilist because he says that that phrase is so important to him because it means that power comes to those who take it. Right. Right, so it's not about earning it, it's not about your hustle, it's not about being the best or brightest, even though I think he is all those things, like I think he wants to be, mm -hmm. um, because he is so ambitious, but I also think that this just shows that he thinks there's a kind of ruthlessness that is okay and necessary. A, a ruthlessness that he comes to demonstrate. And so to make it, so it's so interesting, because you know that Elliot's so like eye-rolling cynical about all of these people, um, but Tyrell really ups the ante by offering him a job. Tyrell has a lot to gain from being in this situation. Terry's ousted as the CTO, which has created a power vacuum, and now Tyrell is already in the position of the acting CTO. He's uh, trying to take advantage of the situation because he kind of sees how much he has to gain. At the same time, Tyrell can see that E Corp is getting hacked left and right, and Allsafe isn't really doing a very good job of protecting them. So they're considering building an internal cybersecurity team, which would make Allsafe services unnecessary. And because E Corp is uh, a big one of their clients, if uh, they weren't working with E-Corp anymore, it might not be possible for Allsafe to continue operations. So Tyrell is trying to make sure that he can continue working with Elliot because he realizes how skilled he is. He wants Elliot to be on that internal security team, working more closely with him. So that's interesting. So you think he's trying to protect Elliot from the collapse at Allsafe? I think he's trying to take advantage of his capabilities. Right, because I mean, my hunch is Tyrell doesn't have a lot of sympathy for anybody else. But it's interesting that he sees something in Elliot and I think he thinks they're alike in some ways. Right. Maybe he's actually a little bit intimidated by his power. Well, that could be true, right? If he thinks he has less capability. And so maybe he does need to have him in his pocket uh, for what's about to happen. <laughs> but it's funny. And I think this would be an offer that was hard for a lot of people to resist, mm -hmm. right? But when he puts it to Elliot, who first asks for some time to think about it, and when he says that he doesn't have any, he says, I think I'm happy where I am. 
I don't know. I was like, I don't think Elliot's ever been happy. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any happy place for him. <laughs> like he's a pretty, he's a pretty sad dude. Even though we we all love uh, him as a main character. <laughs> and so uh, back to the Escalade. Right. He he declines the offer and he gets carried away back to his apartment. And once he gets there, the very first thing he does is hack Tyrell because he needs to understand what his motives are and why he wants to work with Elliot. But he notices that it's actually a little too easy to hack Tyrell. He knows that um, Tyrell has a lot of experience with security and with computers and so on and so forth. But it was really easy to get all of his information. So Elliot had to wonder if this was a honeypot, which is when you kind of create um, a, an exploit, a, a vulnerability deliberately, so you can see when somebody comes in and exploits them to, to catch them in the act. Um, Elliot's aware of this possibility, so as soon as it hits his mind, he immediately starts destroying all of his uh, hard drives and memory cards and things like that by drilling them with a power drill and putting them in the microwave. So I have the instinct here that that microwave has never been used for food, <laughs> and that microwave is basically only for the purpose of destroying things. That is the best way to do it, so probably. Is that the best way to do it? It is for flash storage. For okay. hard disks, that's why you need to use the drill. Oh, see I'm learning so much. Also because I thought, Elliot doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who owns his own power drills, so now <laughs> it makes sense. That's right? really probably the only Or his own microwave. <laughs> I mean, he just seems like, I, I don't know, like, to me I'm like, he doesn't seem like he has other hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so after uh, Elliot takes a drill and, uh, and a microwave to, like, most of the stuff that's in his house, uh, although I do suspect he's not much of a housekeeper because he notices that uh, his tiny dog is actually like pissed all over his bed. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> you know what? I would take my bed over like my shoe or something. Yeah. I think. But uh, shout out to pet owners. <laughs> but um, uh, I actually love this little dog for him. Flipper? Flipper is the Flipper? dog's name? Where did Flipper come from? So Flipper comes from, so we're going to go back in time for a second. So remember when we talked about Dirtbag Michael Hansen? Yeah. So when Elliot hacks him, he finds out a bunch of uh, bad dude facts about him. So he's married and he's cheating on his wife with Krista, the therapist, who Elliot cares a lot about, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and so... Elliot uses that to put some pressure on this guy to change his ways. Right. He actually confronts Michael and he makes him break up with Krista. And what I love about it is, and then he steals his dog. <laughs> That's really the salt in the wounds, isn't it? But I think that Flipper's a little better off with him. I think so. It's like, and for me, this is the ultimate victory because, of course, he's so horrible to that little dog in the first episode. He really had it coming. So now, uh, you know, Flipper's safe and sound. Uh, you know, good bud to Cordy the fish. Um, <laughs> And so uh, they're outside on the sidewalk. This part isn't necessarily moving the plot forward so much as it's a bit of a character development for Elliot, right? Because I think this is, it's good for him to have a, a healthy outlet for caring <laughs> instead of, um, I mean, so many of the other things he cares about are so complicated, yeah. right? So I think this is just like a nice little like home life segment for him here. It really works out for Elliot just like it did for Flipper. Exactly. Best buds. <laughs> can, we get, uh, can we get swag for this show that's just Elliot and Flipper together just walking? The next scene starts with Elliot on the way to work. He quickly snorts some morphine just to get the day going and as soon as he walks in the door he's offered a raise by Gideon which is pretty good luck for him considering. It is pretty good luck and um, 
So the exact moment where my heart breaks into in this episode is that I remember that in the first episode, episode one, Angela talks about how she's desperate to get a raise because of her student loans and Gideon refuses her. Mm -hmm. So I'm taking this as just another sign that Angela's like very marginal in this company. And whether, I mean, I read that as like a, a gender piece where it's like her character's treated in a very gendered way and that's kind of a point that they're making. Yeah. Um, but basically, you know, her bad fortune is also Elliot's good fortune in this company in many ways. Speaking of bad fortune, though, this is the segment where we find out that uh, Allsafe has received a video from F Society. One of the videos that we're going to see a few more times in this series where they are wearing a mask that's notable. Yeah, so they wear this kind of distinctive, like, I want to say it looks like, like a sinister Monopoly man. I think that's the reference they're trying to make. Right. It's the same as on capitalism. Exactly. And so they're wearing, in the video, they're wearing the mask and the voice is distorted. But what's really key here is, so F Society, first this is bold, right? This is public comment as opposed to like a private attack that could be covered up. It is public, right? It's released to the general world, would you I, say? I understand it to be. Yeah, that's how I understand it. It's not like a private missive to Gideon in his office. Yeah, I think actually that they end up uploading it to Vimeo. Okay, so it's like, even I know what Vimeo is, so <laughs> obviously that's for the public. And so they have three demands. So F Society's three demands. What are those? They are that they release Terry Colby, which I find interesting, of course, given that they implicated Terry Colby. Well, that kind of just uh, lends legitimacy to their claim though, right? Because why would they want their fall guy to be forgiven? It makes them look like they have actual interest in him. Right, and so as I said, that kind of builds some dimension around that storyline and where they're going with that. Um, their second demand is that all debts be forgiven, all personal debts. So student debts, credit card debts, mortgage debts, car loans, all of it. Yeah. Again, totally willing to sign an F Society card at this point. <laughs> and the third demand is that they dissolve the corporation and they donate all of its assets to charity. Think about what it would be like to hear that for Gideon and everybody else at Allsafe. Well, exactly, for that, for Allsafe and of course for all of their clients. Because I assume E-Corp is their biggest client, but it's not the right. only client. Well, what Tyrell tells them at the beginning of this episode is that if E-Corp was to stop working with Allsafe, they wouldn't have enough clients to continue work. Right, and so that's like a critical, critical piece of the business. And so if they were to do that, well, then everything falls apart. That's true. So yeah, so I, I love this because I think it's really building tension in that storyline where it's like F society is coming to the forefront and in an anonymous way, yeah. putting these demands out because I think we've already seen that they'll follow through with a threat. Mm -hmm. So after the scene with, uh, with Elliot and Gideon, so Angela's ready to leave the office after another long day of uh, being demoted and uh, not getting an increase in her compensation. And to add insult to injury, she's with her, her stupid boyfriend, Ollie. I, I just hate his face. <laughs> I do. I just hate his face. And they see a guy who's selling CDs on the sidewalk. And Ollie's like, oh, man, you've been bothering me every day for two weeks to buy one of your CDs. Okay, you know what? I'll do it. I'll do it. So stupid Ollie buys this CD. And I'm really stupid by this CD because you need to wonder why he's being so persistent about trying to get him to buy it. I think that um, what this person is doing here is intended to be a reference to something called Stuxnet, which is an attack that happens um, in the late 2010s, I think, sorry, the early 2010s. Um, this person knows that Allsafe has a lot of really, really sensitive data, but they also know that they're protecting it very strongly. They know that they're not going to be able to hack into this network using any kind of remote exploit, so what they're doing is providing um, 
uh, software on this CD that the person will voluntarily run on their computer without needing to ex exploit them. This happened um, in Stuxnet when United States and Israel uh, dropped a bunch of USB keys in the parking lot of an Iranian nuclear facility. Somebody plugs one of those USB sticks into their laptop, which ended up setting off a huge chain reaction that ended up uh, severely damaging Iran's nuclear program by damaging centrifuges. So it really is another one of those callbacks into real world attacks that make you realize that all of these things are really possible and all really probable when you think about it that way. What I like too is in this show, so that's like a high level hack used by government. And then we talk about too, like something Elliot does in the first episode is like a very expensive, sophisticated hack. Mm -hmm. So they show that also is like, if you had enough resources and knowledge, like anybody really could do these things. And in some ways you're like, oh, why doesn't that happen more often. Yeah, you really would think they were that more often. Right, and that you know there are maybe more vulnerabilities in the way we live than we kind of <laughs> consider on the everyday. And so it could be just as simple as that guy trying to sell you his CD very persistently for so, two weeks. <laughs> and so, I mean, we all know all he's going to put it in his computer. <laughs> but there's the lessons learned from that scene. Don't put any CDs in your computer that you don't trust. Do people's computers still have CD drives? Not any recent ones. Not but any the USB recent keys, ones. you need to watch out with more. Actually, oh. you know USB Type-C, which is that new kind of cable that everybody's using? I don't. Uh, well, it's the thing that Google Pixels and the MacBooks have and things like that. Um, so far, power cords that you plug into your laptop, they can only transport power. But now these USB cords, they can transfer power in addition to data. And you don't really know what you're plugging into before you plug it in. So you can plug in your laptop into uh, a power source that is actually going to siphon data off of your laptop or something like that. Oh, how interesting is that? Yeah, so it's really not the CDs that you need to worry about anymore. Right, we need to worry about everything. Yeah. <laughs> when we catch up next with Elliot, he's coming back to his apartment and it's a little weird because he notices that somebody's in his shower and he's not expecting that. So he just slams the door open and he finds that it's Darlene inside, which is the last person he expected. Exactly. So, and again, following with his uh, love of following people who do weird things to weird places, they hop on the subway and they head back to F Society HQ. Right. When they're on the subway, actually, Darlene needs to pull a pretty uh, interesting trick, which he gets off of the subway for a moment and then jumps right back on when the doors are about to close. She does that because she thinks that there's some FBI agents who might be following them. And that makes Elliot wonder if she's also seeing these people, too, because right now he doesn't know that. Right. And I think that's the interesting part, because he's questioning his reality still. And so he wonders if, you know, she's in on it as well, right? If this stuff is real and she's also aware that it's happening. But I think, but he keeps that to himself. Like, I think he's still so uncertain about his perceptions that whenever he doubts something, that's like internal narrative stuff, but that's not shared with the people around him. Right. So I don't think anybody else knows that he's worried about his own take on what's real. Well, he doesn't really have any reason to trust these people yet. And he also is kind of starting to realize now that he's in very over his head because um, Darlene really knows what she's doing. She's writing root kits, she's dodging FBI agents, and maybe he's not getting mixed up with the people he wants to be. Well, exactly, because he doesn't know that much about these people, but he's, I think he's starting to see risk in everything, right? Mm -hmm. So he's kind of questioning whether he's made the right decisions. And at this point, I mean, all of this could be a trap. Right. I think that he starts to realize that when he um, arrives again at the uh, F Society headquarters. Right. The spooky abandoned arcade. I kind of want to buy a spooky abandoned arcade. There may be some around here. 
I bet that, although I couldn't afford it in Toronto. So, <laughs> like a spooky abandoned arcade in a small town. Yeah, that would work. It would be even more spooky, actually. Yes, <laughs> spooky and isolated. <laughs> so what I like here is we start to get to know a little bit about the rest of who makes up F Society. Right, because it's not really just Darlene and Mr. Robot. Exactly, so there's a bigger team here. And so what's really interesting about this group is, so when you look at E Corp, right, you'll see that all of the power is like very male and very white, mm -hmm. right? So kind of what we expect from like a one percenter, like a caricature of a one percenter, right? But when we meet the rest of the team, um, we notice how diverse the hacker group That's is, right. right? So there's Romero, he's a black dude, he's been a hacker for like 30 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's done some time. I didn't even know there were things to hack 30 years ago, <laughs> except like NASA, maybe. Telephones? We're tele but weren't ta telephones like on analog? Phone freaking. Tell me about that. Oh, that's something we need to be another episode. Okay, all right. Remind us to come back to that point. There's way too much to go over there. All right, all right. We're going to come back. And I also, I love that Trenton is there. So Trenton is a hijabi and uh, she's quiet. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because Mr. Robot at one point is like, you know, oh, she seems timid, but she's got a little Allah Akbar in her, which we were just talking about what the purpose of that is because I'm like, oh, that's so like cringy yeah. for him to say, him being like the kind of oldest white man in the room. Especially considering how close they are to not making a plot point out of it. <laughs> right, exactly, because I was like, for most of it, it's not an, it's never really highlighted yeah. that there's that like cultural background. And so you were thinking that maybe that's something that makes us like pull away from Mr. Robot or not trust him as much. Yeah, I, I think that it kind of made me second guess what his morals were. Um, another character that I really liked though was Mobley because I, I oh, like Mobley. when he first goes to shake Elliot's hands, Elliot kind of reaches back and again it's because he just doesn't like being touched and I like how they keep that continuity up as they go through these early episodes. I always imagine like uh, the prison visitation room in Arrested Development where like once in a while Sia will shout out, no touching. <laughs> Um, it's not just uh, Trenton Mobley Romero that we're introduced to there. We also find out that they're working with the Dark Army. And we don't really know a lot about them yet, but we know that they're a different um, hacking ring. Uh, we know that they're very dangerous. And we also know that they're essential to F Society's plan. So this puts Elliot in kind of a uh, risky position because he doesn't know if he wants to be affiliated with these kind of people. Right, and he raises that objection, right, where he's like, these people, like, they hack for terrorists, they hack for repressive regimes you know, that people could get hurt by working with them. And that's when Mr. Robot actually comes on really strong, right? And the question he puts to Elliot is, are you a one or a zero? Really, it's a very black and white way of looking at things. He kind of has an idea that there's a good and a bad, there's a zero and a one, and there's only action and inaction. But Elliot doesn't really see it that way. Right, and so he's got kind of a more nuanced view of it, but I don't think it's presented that the Dark Army is an option. It's like either this plan can be successful and that counts on cooperating with them and right. um, being co-conspirators with them, really. <laughs> so it really puts him in a bind and he really can't make up his mind at this point. Exactly, because as we all know, Elliot always wants time to think and he never ever gets it. <laughs> Afterward, Elliot goes over to Shayla's place. In addition to being his drug dealer, he's also his dog walker, so it's very handy. But when he gets there, he finds out that it's not Shayla who's waiting for him. There's actually a man who he's seen a few times before. His name's Fernando Vera. And Fernando is uh, Shayla's drug supplier. Right. And so um, 
when we've seen him before in this series, he's been like kind of pushing to like get up in Shayla's apartment and kind of being crappy to her. And then the inference here is also that he sexually assaulted her mm -hmm. uh, and that she's in the bathtub and Elliot's not allowed to check on her. So Vera's basically a shithead. Is yeah, quickly basically he's human garbage. So that's kind of where we are. Now the part I don't like about this scene is that Vera kind of does this big like over disclosey thing I don't really think he'd ever do about how much he hates himself <laughs> and how he's like attempted suicide. And I'm like, I just don't think that's a casual conversation topic for most people, especially when his goal seems to be here that he needs to intimidate Elliot. Uh -huh. Maybe it's because he's on meth, but I also think that... Oh, maybe it's because... Does that make people real sherry? Maybe. I don't know. I've never read meth before. <laughs> I think that what they're attempting to do is trying to humanize him a little more and say that maybe he's such a shithead because he's had such a bad life. But they don't really balance it right. very well because all of his horrible actions in this scene drastically outweigh the hardship that he's had in his life. Right, but I think maybe you're right. Like, they're trying to build a bit more dimension because I think just a flat villain yeah. isn't that compelling because the thing about this is like uh, a bigger theme of this I think is who is the villain like is E Corp the villain or F Society the villains like so maybe some of that is playing out on a very small scale when they're just like oh maybe he's a victim of his circumstances yeah. even though he's a piece of shit <laughs> so um, and Elliot feels guilty here because Vera at one point says something to him like if it weren't for her because Shayla remember Vera's a supplier to her right so Shayla only deals with him because he has specific drugs Elliot wants. The Suboxone. Exactly. And so we can talk a bit more about the chemistry of that, but those are medication to protect him from withdrawal from the morphine. Right. He does take morphine very regularly, but he tries to avoid any addiction or withdrawal symptoms by also taking Suboxone, which is an antidote. Right. And so Vera's got it and nobody else does. So fate has brought them all together in this terrible circumstance. And this is where Elliot's kind of making a decision because earlier in the show he talks about how he thinks about doing something about him, but then that's going to interrupt his supply. Right. But once he finds out that he's raped Shayla, Elliot doesn't care anymore. Mm -hmm. He goes on the offensive and he knows that he can take down Fernando because he does all of his illegal activities online, on the clear net, not using Tor, so to say. He can look at his Twitter, he can look at his Facebook, and he can see that he's up to illegal activity, including selling drugs, selling guns, and maybe even murders. Uh, this is actually very common, and although there's a lot of um, criticism of Tor and other software like that, because it enables potential terrorists, the fact is that most of them actually do operate on the clear net without using Tor. And this is an example of um, art imitating life again. So is this, do you know, it's an Edgar Allan Poe story, I think, called The Purloined Letter? <laughs> How does it go? Well, so basically, and I'm going to gloss over 90% of it, but the point of it is they need to find this one letter, and it's very important for some reason, and at the end of it, like, it's just in everybody's view. It's just lying around. <laughs> so it's like the letter they needed all along. That's interesting, is yeah. right there. So is this what this is? Like, all of this stuff is just on, like, the same Twitter that everybody's mom uses? It is, but it's the difficulty is that when... Um, the agencies that are supposed to find these people, they collect so much data that they just can't possibly comb through all of it. They kind of need to get a report or some kind of indication as to where they need to look. Because if a person's just posting online, it's not really obvious that they actually are committing crimes or anything like that. 
Right, and I guess too, I mean, legislation hasn't caught up to <laughs> a lot of people because we talked about earlier, like some test cases around like IP not proving identity and things like that, but those must be very new legal decisions. Yeah, yeah, well, it's really kind of like the, the frontier of digital law. None of these things have really been decided yet. Right, and so, uh, you know, got some catching up to do. Maybe we should get those laws off the books about how, like, you can't drive buggies down Main Street and stuff. I would want to need to deal with all those buggies. Can you imagine if there was, like, a buggy in front of the streetcar? <laughs> oh, my God. What would we... Maybe we'd drive buggies. I don't know. Do you think you'd get better, better lanes? <laughs> They'd probably have, like, Uber for buggies, and it would just make sense. Oh, my God. They would get Uber for buggies, and you'd have to share it. And it would just be the worst. But if you have a horse that you're not using, it lets you kind of rent it off to someone else for a while. So it's nice to have Uber for buggies. Well, because who's using their horse all the time? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we're getting pretty lighthearted, but this is a very heavy seat. And this is like a very awful seat. And so we kind of see that return of, uh, I've been trying to find a better name for Vigilante Elliot or Confronter Elliot, who we kind of know there's foreshadowing that he's going to step in and fuck some shit up for this guy. Yeah. And we all like that at this point. (laughs) Yeah, well, Vera has done a lot to deserve it at this point. So when Elliot just completely goes nuts and turns him in, we're all kind of supporting him. We find out very quickly that uh, Vera and all of his associates have been arrested practically immediately after reporting them. Where this sucks for Shayla, uh, and I mean, oh, this sucks for poor Shayla, um, who's a character I really like. She kind of threw the short end of the straw here. I think so. <laughs> well, and because um, because her at least financial security is bound up with the fate of this guy, right? So once he goes away, it, that's actually shitty for her. So now it's like, okay, so she was like making money in some way, and now she's got to start over and figure out how she's gonna like take care of herself now that she doesn't have this stream of revenue. And there's going to be some interesting parallels about that and about the Angela character later on. So I'm going to come back to that. (laughs) So we actually get a quick glimpse of Angela's apartment. Right, she's there with Ollie. Right. Um, But someone else is watching the scene and they're not in their apartment. (laughs) Right, it seems like that CD that stupid Ollie put in that stupid computer is actually watching Angela now. Right, and so we do get to see the face of the guy who is watching them, and boom, it's that guy from the sidewalk. And you would ask the question, why was he so persistent? And um, so obviously they're building up this storyline where that's about to cause some trouble in their lives. Right, and then we need to wonder, what are they going to do with this information? What is their motive by having access to this webcam? I also ask, how could Ollie be useful to anyone? (laughs) Uh, I hope that will be revealed to me in uh, subsequent episodes. We'll see. In the final scene of the episode, we have Elliot meeting Mr. Robot on a boardwalk. Both of them are sitting very precariously over the railing. And I thought the scene was kind of boring, but I was wondering if you felt that way too. To be honest, it is kind of boring, but I think it does a couple of things to move the plot forward. So this scene is pretty important because first, Mr. Robot learn something about Elliot. What's that? And so uh, what we come to know is that when Elliot was like a very small child, um, his father became very sick. He became sick with leukemia, I think. But where this is even more messed up is that his father swears into secrecy. So Elliot knows his father has leukemia and is probably dying, but his mother doesn't know. That must be a big secret to keep. Well, you'd think so for like a little boy, right? 
And so uh, Elliot also says at some point he does disclose it to his mother and that he and his father get into this altercation where he like shoves them actually out of a window. Wow. So I was like, so that's expository background stuff. But a couple of times already we've seen family flashbacks from Elliot. And they're so upsetting. They're really disturbing. And it kind of, um, it goes to show you how Elliot kind of ended up in the situation that he's in. Exactly. And so, you know, even though, so the dynamics with the dad are screwed up, the dynamics with the mom are screwed up, it's all pretty upsetting. And now Mr. Robot knows this. Um, but what's weird about it is that Mr. Robot takes the dad's side. Yeah, well, that's not really what you'd expect. Well, you'd think so, right? Because I think the audience is on Elliot's side. Like, I'm on Elliot's side. I think you're on Elliot's side at this point. Um, but where it comes back to is he says, you know, you didn't commit to the promise that you made him. And there's been this running theme throughout the show of trust and promises and right. keeping and breaking them. I think that Shayla had said something about that earlier in this episode. Actually, that's a really good point because we talked about Suboxone. So there's a point where he asks her to resupply him and she says, no, you made me promise that unless I had like both drugs, I would never do that for you. And she makes him promise that he's not going to screw up. So that kind of is a, a central theme in this episode, characters who make promises to other characters but then aren't able to see them through. Exactly, and in particular the weight of Elliot's promises on him, right? And so, um, so what's really fucked up about this part is that Mr. Robert just shoves him off the railing. <laughs> And it's very abrupt. It's kind of just the end. You don't really know what happens next. No, and I think what I took from this, where I think this is important to the plot and not just really bizarre behavior, uh, even though we kind of expect some of that now from Mr. Robot, is that I think it shows that he's willing to hurt Elliot. Even though he's such an incredible asset to him. Exactly. Like, Elliot's like this pivotal part of this plan, but Mr. Robot will harm him and will get in his way and isn't necessarily on his side all the time. Right, you can kind of tell that he's self-serving and he's interested in Elliot in as much as Elliot can help him achieve his own goals. Exactly. Another thing that I noticed in this scene was that they had, um, they had some very deliberate shots of the rocks that were at the bottom of the boardwalk that I think were intended to tell us that for Elliot to fall would lead to some serious injuries. So at the end of this episode, when we don't really know what happens next, we don't really know what's happened to Elliot at all, or the extent of his injuries. It's funny how often I miss foreshadowing like that, where I was just like, oh, look at the ocean. <laughs> Pretty rocks. <laughs> oh, look, what a beautiful day. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, that's the end of the scene. So it's, it's very slow moving until it isn't. And then we get this kind of abrupt piece, and then we have no more information than that <laughs> until episode three. Thanks for listening to Mr. Rewatch. This show is recorded in downtown Toronto. And hey, if you liked our podcast today, we're going to ask you to consider donating to a project that we want to highlight this week, and that's the Sexual Assault Center of Hamilton and Area. So that's Sasha.ca, S-A-C-H-A, and they are a feminist organization that provides victim services and advocacy. And if you don't live in the Hamilton area, I bet there is a kick-ass feminist organization doing work like this near you, so please uh, consider supporting them. I'm Devlin. I'm Erin. Bonsoir.